Pico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello, and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cade Young. Later in the program, environmental correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Hank Duncan, the bicycle and pedestrian coordinator on the city's greenways, streets that allow automobiles and parking that are designated as corridors made safer for those utilizing greener modes of transit. And now for your environmental reports. Finally, Indiana may make progress in reducing the health threat from coal ash dumps. The Indiana lawyer reports that a draft EPA rule could impact nearly 50 Indiana coal ash dumps. Draft federal regulations for toxic coal byproducts could cover nearly 50 previously exempted dumps spread across 14 locations in Indiana. The Indiana my apologies, the Environmental Protection Agency's rule released last week would extend monitoring, closure, and cleanup provisions to certain landfills, ponds, and other sites for the first time. Coal ash, the catch-all term for particulate matter produced by burning coal, can contain dangerous carcinogens like arsenic, cadmium, and mercury. Quote, this is a really big deal, end quote, said Lisa Evans, Senior counsel for the nonprofit environmental litigator Earth Justice in a news release. The proposal arises out of settlement to a lawsuit involving the organization, several Hoosier plaintiffs, and others. The Biden administration is standing up for people near a lot of hazardous coal waste sites around the country, Evans added. For far too long, a large portion of toxic coal ash around the U.S. was left leaching into drinking water supplies without requirement it be cleaned up. Although utilities for decades have dumped coal in unlined landfills and ponds throughout the country, no national standards for coal ash existed until 2015. That year, an initial EPA rule went into force, but it excluded landfills that stopped taking in waste before the effective date, as well as ponds at power plants that stopped generating energy before the effective date. An Earth Justice analysis found that regulations left out 566 landfills and ponds and 242 plants in 40 states. In Indiana alone, that meant 25 landfills and 23 ponds at 14 sites. Hoosier organizations celebrated last week's announcement, noting that Indiana lawmakers have blocked state regulators from promulgating stricter standards. We have worked for years to get safer coal ash disposal via state policy, 
but our efforts were blocked since the majority in Indiana's General Assembly insist on limiting state environmental standards to no more than what is required federally, said Indra Frank, who directs environmental health and water policy for the Hoosier Environmental Council. Quote, in Indiana, safe coal ash disposal depends on a strong federal rule, end quote, Frank concluded in a news release. The proposed rule changes would extend requirements for the groundwater monitoring, corrective action, closure, and post-closure to inactive landfills. And the EPA hopes to include any other places coal ash was put directly on the ground, like structural fills sites. Finally, Indiana is making progress in reducing the health risk posed by coal ash dumps. Hopefully in the future, the state legislature will expand its objectives beyond exploitation and corporate profit to include public health. The Forest Alliance reports that the Buck Creek development proposal is withdrawn. Becknell has withdrawn their rezoning petition from the Marion County Metropolitan Development Commission to develop a massive warehouse along Buck Creek. So the remnant forest along Buck Creek near north of Acton, whose largest trees were growing when the Lenny Lenape hunted beneath them, will not be drowned by increased flooding due to runoff from the warehouse and surrounding concrete hardscape that would accompany the building. This is a great victory for nature and the citizens of southeast Indianapolis, led by Julie and Brian Zeller, and their neighbors, as well as Plews, Shadley, Raker, and Braun Law Firm, IFA, and others who helped. Yet it will no doubt be temporary, as another developer is likely to submit a proposal for the site. Let's hope we can get IDNR to move forward with a wetland project in the floodplain in front of the Buck Creek Woods that the owners of the site had invited and the city of Indianapolis to seriously examine the feasibility of establishing the Buck Creek Greenway that it has proposed to do in three successive Greenway plans. According to Energy.gov, for 2022, electric power in Indiana was generated from several sources. The largest approach is, of course, coal at 55% of the total power. Indiana ranks second behind Texas in coal consumption. Next is natural gas at 32%. Though the legislator has deemed natural gas not to be a fossil fuel, everywhere outside Indiana knows it's a fossil fuel. Thus, coal and natural gas make up 87% of power generation. Wind is 10% and solar is 2%. Indiana ranks 28th in the percentage of power generated by renewables. The legislator has been superb at avoiding reducing air or water pollution. The New York Times reports the World Meteorological Organization concludes increased odds that El Nino, the global weather pattern often tied to intense heat, will arrive by fall. While there is not yet a clear picture of how strong the El Nino event will be or how long it might last, even a relatively mild one could affect precipitation and temperature patterns around the world. Quote, the development of an El Nino will most likely lead to a new spike in global heating and increase the chance of breaking temperature records, end quote, said Petteri Talas, the Secretary General of the Meteorological Organization, in a news release. 
El Nino is associated with warmer than normal ocean surface temperatures in the central and eastern tropical Pacific Ocean. In the United States, it tends to lead to rainier, cooler conditions in much of the south and warmer conditions in parts of the north. Maybe this will be a good summer to swim in Lake Superior. The 2023 Atlantic hurricane season is predicted to be slightly below average because of the likelihood of an El Nino condition developing. The official kickoff date is June 1st and will run until November 30th. But experts have already noted this season comes with a high level of uncertainty based on a developing El Nino and an unusually warm Atlantic basin. El Nino events generally suppress Atlantic hurricane activity, so fewer hurricanes than normal form in the Atlantic during August to October, the peak season of Atlantic hurricane season. In California, warmer than normal ocean temperatures mean fish normally found off Mexico, such as yellowfin tuna and dorado, are more common off Southern California. However, bait, such as anchovy and squid, may travel to the north, and some game fish, such as white sea bass and California halibut, may follow them. An El Nino reduces the upwelling of cold water off of the coast of South America. When this happens, fish either die or migrate into areas where they'll find more to eat. With the fish gone, seabirds that depend on them may die or go elsewhere. Kelp forests are often destroyed by storms and ocean swells. During El Nino years, when currents weaken and trade winds die down, the entire Galapagos food chain is impacted and many species face mass starvation and near extinctions. Smoke from forest fires is limiting visibility in New York City. It's not coming from California. Instead, the source is unusual. Nova Scotia. Forest fires in Nova Scotia are rare because rains and fog are very common, but this year the ground is dry, allowing flames to spread. British Columbia and Alberta have been warm for a decade or so. Forest fires and pine beetle attacks on the forest are common. The immense forests in Ontario and Quebec are now under threat. Perhaps within a decade, we shall witness vast fires and beetle attacks in these provinces. To prevent beetle attacks requires several days below minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Such low temperatures are now rare. All this matters a great deal because the forests of North America and Russia are responsible for removing an immense amount of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. The aspect of carbon dioxide management will suffer a great deal. The probable result is the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is likely to grow even faster. Currently, atmospheric carbon dioxide is at 420 ppm. Given that the nations are going, doing little to reduce CO2 emissions, we can expect CO2 levels in the 600 to 700 ppm region within 200 years. Why is this important? Because it will mean there is no ice left on Earth and ocean levels will be 250 feet higher. And now we go to Zero Rose. As he asked Hank Duncan, the city's bicycle and pedestrian coordinator, about the progress on the plan for the Allen Street Greenway, 
which will create a new connection from Walnut Street cutting west through the McDowell Gardens neighborhood with a route that will include Mother Hubbard's cupboard on Allen Street west of Patterson Drive here in Bloomington. So we have with us today Hank Duncan. Uh, he joined the city as bicycle and pedestrian coordinator in October of 2022. Hank graduated from IU in 2019 with a BS in economic consulting and a BA in Germanic studies. He worked for a cycling tourism company in France for a few summers ago, and he was sales manager for a bike shop in Asheville, North Carolina through 2020 and 2021. Um, he was also Little 500 race director at IU Foundation for the 2021 and 2022 races, as well as in the first half of the 22-23 academic year. Uh, currently, Hank is pursuing a Master of Public Affairs in his studies at the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs and he also plays cello and piano in the Bloomington Symphony Orchestra. Thanks for being with us today, Hank. That's great to be here. And so we're going to focus on the Allen Street Greenway today, um, which is among a few things that are in progress, a lot of construction going on yeah. in these, these weeks uh, to the frustrations of particular people, of course. Um, these, uh, bicycle greenways and things are a bit of a bone of contention with some of the locals who don't see the point in it. Um, but uh, it's looking like a lot more arterial connections are gonna be created across town for uh, bikesters and other modes of transit. You wanna uh, start off with kind of explaining what the greenways uh, are particularly for people? Sure, of course. So. A neighborhood greenway in Bloomington is essentially an already relatively low traffic, low speed corridor that could be improved to prioritize pedestrian and cycling move, movements through that area. So we see in high traffic, high speed areas, uh, we might want to build a protected bike lane to complete to build a low stress environment network for those folks, but for a lower traffic, lower speed corridor, a protected bike lane might not be needed. So we implement things like traffic calming devices, um, like speed cushions, speed humps, bump outs to essentially calm the traffic down, lower their speed to hopefully around 15 to 20 miles an hour to provide a much more comfortable area for folks to walk in, folks to bike in and get from point A to point B. And so those are still roads that are still allowing vehicles and parking, just so people are clear that it's not some kind of a dedicated, uh, uh, what, what do you actually call the, uh, the multi-use paths, I guess, yeah. for the pave ways is what mm -hmm. I call them. So in Bloomington, we have a lot of those off-street multi-use paths that are 12 or 14 feet wide that are specifically for cyclists and pedestrians, those who walk and roll, the neighborhood greenway is still open to motor vehicle traffic. We just tried to keep that traffic slower to provide a comfortable path for those who walk and roll. 
and that's mainly by those speed humps, which are a little uh, smoother than a speed the old speed bumps. Yes. Yeah, so the speed humps and speed cushions that we use for the neighborhood greenways, they are not meant to uh, make a car come to a complete stop before going over it. They are meant to slow a car down to around 15 miles an hour and go over it gradually. So again, it's trying to keep you at that lower speed to make you aware of your surroundings. And I have noticed that there is an opening in the middle of them for bikes to be able to go through without having to go over the Pump, yes, which absolutely. ostensibly also would work for motorcycles and mopeds and e-bikes and that sort of thing as a way that they are able to go through, uh, you know, particularly at night uh, to be a little less surprised by the speed humps, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And so the Allen Street Greenway is mm -hmm. going to connect Walnut Street and go all the way past Mother Hubbard's cupboard, it looks like, from the, the online map. Yeah. Uh, are you? That's going to create a new way through that doesn't exist right now from Walnut uh, through uh, over, what is it, Madison, mm -hmm. in that McDowell Gardens neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so is there going to be some uh, particular things besides the speed humps done along Allen as it's... Uh, what is it west of Patterson because mm -hmm. it's kind of a uh, there's a hill there right before Mother Hubbard's covered and it's kind of a point where people speed up so I presume there's going to be I, I don't know if you're going to do any other kind of pylons or anything like that so not currently the the phases of this project that have already been, that have already been completed and that we're working on right now first um, completed last year was the East Allen neighborhood greenway which connected Bryan Park and Henderson over to Walnut. And then being constructed right now is the West Allen neighborhood greenway connecting Patterson with Madison. And then currently in the public outreach phase um, that hopefully if approved will be constructed next year is the West Allen neighborhood greenway connector, which will connect Allen from Madison to Morton and the Beeline through an existing right-of-way area that will be then developed into a ramp for um, cyclists and pedestrians only that will connect all of Allen from Patterson over to Bryan Park. Hmm. And uh, so as far as that part uh, west of Patterson, you say that's a, a later stage? So right now, at, at, as far as I know, that's not something that we're working on currently. It is still um, something, especially as we get into the revisions of the transportation plan coming up later this year. That is an area that I think needs some work. But in terms of this specific neighborhood greenway project, that is not in the scope of it. And so is there still some process of with the public input to go on? for that. Um, the West Allen connector, um, that is what we're doing right now. We just hosted our first public meeting last week over at the Beeline and Allen intersection. We had a nice group of folks show up, um, ask questions, voice any concerns or positive thoughts about the project and what they might want the project to look like. We'll host another public meeting later this summer if anybody's interested in 
putting putting out their thoughts. Uh, there is a page on the city of Bloomington's website. If you just Google West Allen Neighborhood Greenway Connector, you'll find it. And there are tons of ways for the public to get involved on that process. And is there anything to do with um, ADA or wheelchair access that's, that's part of any of this green, this particular greenway? Yeah, so this connector, actually, that's the main uh, point right now is that section from Madison to Morton that is currently undeveloped but is right of way, there is a very steep slope, about 15 to 20% in gradient, um, that goes up to Madison on the western side there. And so that is one of our main points of concern is how do we make this as ADA compliant as possible when building this? And so is that to do with uh, ramping to curbs, that sort of thing? Yeah, so there, there are a few different ways you can do it. We, we've sat down and kind of proposed different options, but there, there's nothing set in stone of what we're doing going forward. And I think that, I think we'll need to talk to other folks in the city about that, especially those who worked on the ADA transition plan. Um, but whether that's a constant slope running from top to bottom, whether that's having some levels off in there to provide some, to provide some levels for wheelchair users, or those who are just tired biking up that hill, um, whether it's maybe putting in switchbacks if there is room, those are all on the table. And that's another main question of what we would like from the public in terms of input for this project. And uh, have you had any kind of uh, frictions or interest groups try to throw a wrench into to any of this, uh, any of these plans or? Anything else around town? No, no, not really. I mean, there, there, are, there are always going to be parties that are not directly benefited by projects like these, but it's up to us to make sure that the process is smooth from start to finish and really communicate the why of what we're doing. Um, why are we doing this? It's to prioritize multimodal transportation, active transportation around the city. It's to limit and reduce and hopefully eliminate traffic fatalities, traffic severe injuries, and make it a safer place to move from point A to point B in Bloomington. And also, I imagine it's part of the uh, climate action plan to reduce miles traveled by vehicles and emissions for contributing to climate change. Yeah, there, there are a few of our community's goals in the climate action plan and the comprehensive plan that directly support what we're doing with neighborhood greenways and other multimodal projects around Bloomington. I'm Cade Young. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption 
and the ongoing assault on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. You can visit Paintown State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Saturday, June 3rd from 7 to 8.30 p.m. to see the Strawberry Full Moon. Learn why it is called the Strawberry Full Moon and hear all about the history and folklore. Meet at the campground playground. The Community Gardening Program is offering a composting basics class on Sunday, June 4th from 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. at the Butler Community Park Gardens. Learn how to be more eco-friendly with composting and how to add composting to your gardens. Register at bloomington.in.gov parks. Do you love box turtles? Are you one of those people who moves the turtle out of the road? If so, come to a box turtle talk at Spring Mill State Park on Tuesday, June 6th from 1 to 1.30 p.m. You can learn all about box turtles while meeting a live one. And that's happening at the Lakeview Activity Center. The monarchs are on the way. Enjoy learning about migrating monarchs at the Paintown State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Wednesday, June 7th at 7 p.m. Discover why monarchs don't appear in Indiana until mid to late June. Meet in the amphitheater. You can explore Monroe Lake during a paddling trip on Sunday, June 11th, beginning at 7 p.m. at the Pine Grove State Recreation Area. You must have paddling experience. Learn about the quieter side of Monroe Lake as you watch the sunset and discover beautiful views and hidden wildlife. You can sign up at bit.ly slash explore dash June 11 dash 2023. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Today's news feature was produced by Zero Rose and edited by Noelle Herhusky Schneider. Juliana Daly assembled the script, which was edited by Zero Rose. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Uh, Noelle Herhusky Schneider and myself produced today's show. Brandon Blewett was our engineer. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cade Young. And this is Eco Report.
You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.